to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Tonight we continue our new Bible study series called Living the Lord's Prayer. Living the Lord's Prayer. Um, and um, the title is um, Our, Us, We. It's like, what does that mean? <laughs> All right, we'll get to that in just a moment. The reason I entitled this Living the Lord's Prayer rather than just praying the Lord's Prayer is because I think most all of us know that we're supposed to pray the Lord's Prayer. And we probably have it some time. We may even have the habit of praying it on a daily or regular basis, which is a very good thing to do as long as we don't just say it without thinking about it, as long as we use it, paying attention to it and, and, and praying it as it's intended, okay? But it's long been my um, thought that it's more than just a prayer, okay? Um, that it incorporates a lot of important spiritual truths that if we apply them to the way we live, not just the way we pray, it will help us grow and mature, have good relationships with God and with others, and become a better Christian. In fact, there have been some in writing about it that says the Lord's Prayer provides a great foundation for discipleship, becoming a better follower of Jesus. So what we see in the Lord's Prayer is a great pattern for our prayers I believe that's the main reason Jesus gave it. He didn't give it just to be prayed exactly as it is, although that's fine. But he gave it to be kind of a pattern, to be kind of an outline. So part of our study as we go through this is, how can we best pray this? You know, when we get to that first line and we say that, how can we expand that? How can that be a foundation for expanded prayer? Okay. But um, it's not only a great pattern because it reveals God's will and it shows us what his priorities are. But it also has great instruction for our lifestyle. A lot of spiritual truths that can help us, as I said, in discipleship. So um, kind of a key thought for the whole series is this. Don't just pray the Lord's Prayer. Live it. Okay, that's the first thing that's on your thing there. I think you have just a little bit of a volume problem there, Earl. Or some. You could probably just turn the monitors off if you want to. But anyway, so don't just pray the Lord's Prayer. Live it. As I said, the title of our lesson tonight is Our, Us, We. What we're doing is we're taking the Lord's Prayer and we're just dealing with one little section each week. Last week was kind of an introductory um, situation, uh, introductory uh, thing to the, to the um, series. Um, but tonight we're going to pick it up and our focus is really basically the first word, in other words, like it, Our. It starts off Our Father. Okay, um, and we'll dig more deeply into that in just a moment. But let's go ahead and look at the passage in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. This is Jesus' teaching on prayer, and in the middle of that, he gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven given our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
All right. As we look at this, the very, very first word is our. Now, I mentioned last week that today we were just going to focus on our. How many of you thought I was crazy? How are we going to have a whole Bible study just on the fact that Jesus started um, his prayer with our? Now, nobody raised their hands, so either you didn't think I was crazy or you're just holding it to yourself. I'll just tell you something. As I, I mean, I've been meditating on this. I, I mentioned last week, I've been talking about, thinking about for years, talking about doing a um, uh, Bible study series on living the Lord's Prayer. So I've been meditating on this for years. Um, and this last week, as I was doing it even more so, preparing for this, and I sat down to type it all up, and I had to leave a bunch of stuff out because I had so much stuff about the fact that Jesus started the prayer with our. We want to talk about what is the significance that he said our instead of pray my father or just Father, okay, why did he say our? And not just that first word, but if you look all the way through the prayer, all of the first person pronouns are plural. There's not a single I in there, okay? It's our Father. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us, not into temptation, deliver us from evil. So the focus tonight is, as I said, the title is Our, Us, and We. Why did Jesus put this whole prayer in the perspective of a group of us rather than me, I, or my? So before we jump in, any thoughts about the significance of that, of why Jesus did that? Vita? Okay, so you're saying the hour refers to us and Jesus? Right, he says our Father. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're saying that the, at least one aspect of it is that he is joining us to join him. So when he says our, it's me and Jesus to the Father. Is that what you're saying? I'm sorry. That's what I, that's what I got from what you said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We're supposed to pray to the Father, but that's next week's lesson. We're going to talk about Father. <laughs> so, so... Why is the focus on our rather than just my father? Okay, Joan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. But again, he could have said my. Still wouldn't take possession. I'm playing the devil's advocate here. I'm not trying to come down on anybody, okay? I'm just trying to get you to think this through. Because he's a father to more than just me? Yeah. Is he really a father to all people? I got yes and no. The Bible says there are two fathers. There is Father God and the Father the devil. And uh, uh, when Jesus said, you're of your father the devil, people that don't know the Lord through Jesus, God is not their father. He's their creator. John 1 tells us that it was those who believed on his name God gave power to become sons of God. But anyway, Lynn, were you going to say something? Oh, okay. Go ahead. 
Okay, but the hour is talking about people. It's not talking about God. It's our people. What it comes down to is basically he wants us to understand and realize and live like we're all in this together. Okay? It's not just me and Jesus. We're not supposed to be Lone Ranger Christians. Although even Lone Ranger had Tonto. Okay? Um, we're not supposed to go it alone. And not only are we not supposed to go it alone, but when we come to the Father, we don't just come to him alone. We're part of a body. And I think all these comments you guys have been making, that's been there in the background, that we're all part of a body. We're all part of a group. We're all in this together. And even when we come to God, when we're by ourselves, we're still part of the body. And we need to keep that in mind. Two words that I think... Yeah, go ahead, Theo. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, he says, this is how you should pray. Okay, now Jesus is involved too. And God is his father also in a different way than us. But he's his father too. So, okay, there's two words that come to my mind when I think of the significance of the our and the we and the us and, and all that kind of stuff. And that's companionship and community. Companionship, I like this definition. You can look in the dictionary or on the line. It gives you several. But I like this particular one. It says, having someone you know and like with you instead of being on your own. The idea of our is that we're together, is companionship. Yeah, Lynn, did you want to say something? Although a very interesting um, piece of trivia. You mentioned how in Luke's story, the disciples came to Jesus. I think it's Luke 11. It said, teach us how, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, pray in this way. In the Luke's version, it doesn't say our. It just says, pray this way, Father. Okay. But in Matthew, it does say our. We talked last week about why there's two different versions. They're very similar. Um, and so if you missed that, you can go back and listen to that. So we've got the word companionship. Having somebody, uh, someone you know and like with you instead of being on your own, but also community. Uh, the word community literally means to be together with, but to expand that a little bit, it's a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. A feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. And so... The body of Christ is a community. And that's part of the reason that the word communion is used for what we have together. We have communion and we take communion. It means that we are together in this. We take this together. We do life together. And this prayer certainly points that direction. There's certainly a place of praying all by ourselves just for me, my relationship with God and all that kind of stuff. But in general, God, Jesus, wants us to focus on our relationships with with each other, all right? And so we're going to be dealing with the same four questions every week about 
uh, concerning whatever portion we're looking at. Like I said, today we're looking at our, um, uh, we and us. And the first question is this, is what truths are found in this portion of the Lord's Prayer? In other words, the fact that Jesus uses that word our to start out with, and then also includes we and us through there. Um, what truths come to mind? What significance of this our, we, us um, point to certain truths in Scripture? The fact that we're all in this together. I know you're kind of getting used to this format, but did anything pop into your mind when you think about just Scripture as a whole and truth that is in there that has to do with us, with our, with the fact that we're all together? Anybody? Lynn. When Jesus prayed, it was focused on the Father, and it wasn't just for him. It was on all that he was trying to accomplish, which was for the whole world, and definitely for sure for all the people who would respond. So um, that's great. That'll actually fit under the second question, too, with how does this apply to Jesus' life and ministry. But that's true, that um, all along, God is concerned not just with individuals, but with the whole body, with all the people that he created. Unfortunately, not everybody responds that way. Okay, so what I have on my note sheet here um, is the, and there's a lot of things that could go here, but things that stood out to me, this whole idea of being a community, um, about being together. The first one, letter A, is this, God created people to need companionship and community. Okay, when Jesus instructed his disciples and us, pray our Father, it points us to the fact that we're part of a group, and, and one of the reasons is because God created us that way. He didn't create us just to always be alone and to try to do life alone, to try to do Christian life alone, and so he created us to need it, uh, need companionship and community. He created us to need other people. The very first place that I could find in Scripture, anyways, way back in the story of creation, Genesis 2.18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And this wasn't God just saying, I can't leave that man alone for a minute. There's no telling what he's going to do. You know, some of you may feel that way, but that wasn't what God was saying. You know, God created Adam, and there was something in Adam about he wanted somebody, something else. And it says in the story that God brought the animals to him. He's naming them, but he didn't find what he was looking for in those animals. And so God said that was the, the beginning of the um, aspect of the creation of Eve. All right? That at the very beginning, mankind was not created to just go through life alone, totally and completely self-focused. The second thing there, letter B, is God created people to thrive on companionship and community. It's not just that we need one another, but we thrive when we're in good, healthy relationship with one another. Now, obviously, unhealthy relationships cause us problems. And unfortunately, that's why some people close themselves off from close relationships and they end up suffering. Okay? Uh, they may feel they have a good reason and, and we certainly am not condemning um, and certainly can understand why they might feel that. If they have been hurt very deeply by close relationships, it's hard to open back up again. But we need each other. 
And again, when you have healthy relationships, we thrive in that kind of a situation. And then letter C, in general, we accomplish more in relationship with others than we do alone. There may be certain projects or certain things we can do. If I just do it by myself, I can get done quicker, do a better job. That's fine. But in the body of Christ, in the kingdom of God, we do more together than we do by ourselves. And that's where the whole concept of the body of Christ um, comes, you know, in, in, in the illustration of in all the teaching on unity and working together. You know, Paul was the one who wrote the most about the body of Christ, that we as a group of believers and all believers are like Christ's body in that we all have different purposes, have different functions. When we all do what we're supposed to do and we work together in unity, we accomplish things. We are all dependent on each other. One part of the body does not live separate from the other. If any part of your body becomes separated from your body, what happens to it? It dies, decays, okay? Um, and it's that way for the body of Christ. And that's why it's so important to have unity in the body of Christ. And so to me, again, you could have, as you meditated on this, and that's the purpose why we hand out the note sheets so you can meditate on the next section for the next time. You may come up with different things that came to your mind as you thought about the fact that he starts it with our because we're all together, we're part of a body, we're part of a community. But those are the things that came to me. The second question we're going to deal with each week, in this case we're dealing with our, we, us, the idea of community and, and companionship. Number two, how are these truths evident in Jesus' teaching and actions? And I came up with a number of things, but... But what do we see in Jesus, in his life, in the, what he taught, the way he lived, that illustrates this idea of the fact that we are a community, okay? We are to be in this together. We're to work together. I mean, Lynn already mentioned one, all his um, teachings on unity, okay? But what are some other things that we see in Jesus, his own life, his own teaching, his own ministry, that illustrate the importance of our community, of our being together? Vida. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, God's, I mean, Jesus, his connection with the fathers here, hear that lot in the Gospel of John. Okay, but he's always talking about, he prays about his connection, his unity with the Father, and he uses that to talk about how, especially in the high priestly prayer of John 17, he talks about, Lord, I'm with you, we're together, blah, 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 and he says, I want all of us, all of my followers to be united with me and united with you and then be united with each other. Okay, so we see that in his example and in his prayer. And the whole purpose is to glorify the Father, yeah. What else do we see? What else do you see in Jesus' life, ministry, example about this unity? Joan was first and then John. Go ahead, Joan. His compassion for other people. Yeah, he didn't just show up to do a job. Of course, you could say, but his job was to have compassion. Well, that's true, but it's still it was compassion on other people. And since you said it, I'll go tell you, that's the first one on my list. A, okay, Jesus' compassion. Matthew 14, 14, it says, When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Of all the words that are used to describe Jesus in the Gospels, compassion is the one that's used the most. Sean, what did you have in mind? Compassion? Did they put it up on the screen before you guys said it, or did you just guess well? Uh, Not guess well, but you had a good... Okay, great. You guys did great. Compassion. 
compassion. Let's go on to the next ones. Um, you can throw some more in if you want, because if I take too long, then we won't get done. The second one is Jesus companionship. You say, what do you mean by Jesus companionship? Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus wanted to be around other people? That Jesus wanted other people's company? And not just in the sense of crowds, they probably wore him out, but I mean friendship. And there's proof of it in God's word. In Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, as Jesus is contemplating, um, you know, who's going to be the 12 followers, you know, the 12 disciples, the, the intimate circle. It says in Mark 3, 13 to 15, and he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. Now that by itself, you say, well, those he desired to work with him, those he desired to become disciples, those he desired eventually to be apostles to send out, and that's true. But as we go on, it says, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. Just the same. He just wanted them to be with him. Now, he had a purpose, okay? But he wanted the companionship, that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Yes, he was going to train them. He had a purpose for them. They were going to carry that on after he left. But one of the reasons he called them is he just wanted people to be with him. He wanted that. If Jesus needed companionship, he needed and wanted close relationship. How much more, you know, do we need it too? Uh, how many of you have seen any or all of the episodes of the show called The Chosen? A lot of you haven't. If you if you haven't, you might want to check that out. It's, it's basically a, a reenactment of episodes out of Jesus's life. The goal is to start from the beginning of his ministry all the way through the end. Um, two seasons are done. They're working on the third season. Now it's about half done. There's going to be six or seven. Um, but uh, if you haven't seen it, you won't maybe understand the description. But one of the things I love about The Chosen is it brings all the characters to life. Okay? It makes them real people. All right? And Jesus in particular. And one of the things that you see in there is Jesus's relationship with his disciples. It wasn't like he's the big master teacher and they just kind of follow him behind, listen to everything, do everything he says to do, and there's kind of this barrier. No, they have a great time together. They laugh together. They talk together. You know, there's there's the arms around the shoulder. There's the joking. There's the laughing, you know. And, and, and Jesus was God, but he came and he had companionship. John, you had your hand raised. Let's take just a moment. Uh, so I bet they tried to call me too, but my phone's in my office. That's where it is in my Bible study and prayer. So Brother Don's gone to be with Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's pray for Muriel again. Father, right now, we thank you, Lord, for promoting Don to glory. God, we rejoice for him. And I know that in a very real way, Muriel's rejoicing too. But this is going to be very difficult for her and her family. So we pray that you comfort them, strengthen them, and help them, Lord. And Lord, help them through the process of the next several days and weeks and months. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In light of that, whenever the family makes arrangements, we will communicate that to you as quickly uh, as we can. Okay? All right. Getting back into it. So Jesus' companionship. He desired those relationships. The third one, letter C there, is Jesus' ministry to others. We can see his relationship with others and how important that is in his ministry. Obviously, that's why he came, all right? But he didn't hold himself aloof, you know, and, and the Gospels are full of his ministry. 
teaching and preaching, but also healing and feeding and just meeting needs, delivering from spiritual oppression and demonic oppression and possession, even meeting temporary needs then. And he still does it today in answer to our prayers. But to provide salvation, it was all about his people, his people. And then D, in Jesus's prayers for others. You know, we see that Jesus prayed regularly. In fact, we've seen in the Gospel of Luke, as we're working our way through, that Luke mentions Jesus praying more often than any other Gospel writer. So I assume Jesus prayed for himself. It certainly would be um, appropriate. We see him praying for himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. But where do we see him praying for other people? We've already mentioned John 17, right? That whole chapter is Jesus, the night he was betrayed, is praying to God about what's coming up. Lord, I'm ready to come be with you, you know, but he's praying for his his followers. And he prayed not only for the followers he had then, but he prayed for us. Okay. Um, in fact, um, the second um, passage on your note sheet there, John 17, 9, and then verse 20, verse 9 says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are the yours. He's talking about his disciples. But then down in verse 20 says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So Jesus, when he's praying, is not just for himself, but is for our, for his group. What other examples do we have of Jesus praying for others? Joe. On the cross, he asked God to forgive those who had crucified him. And I think he was talking about not just the ones that actually nailed him to the cross, but everybody who was involved in the process. Yeah. Any other examples you can think of? Yeah, Matthew 5 has the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. That was focused on others, yeah. Okay, that isn't specifically a prayer, but you're right. He was focused on others there. Okay. How about that time, the night he was going to be betrayed, and, and he says, y'all are going to desert me? And what did Peter say? Never. I'll never do it. And Jesus says, oh, yeah, you will. And what did he say? That's what we have in Luke 21, 31 to 32. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan's demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. So he prayed for Peter specifically. Yes, Sharon. Yes, I think that's part of John 17 too. He prayed that they would not be taken out of the world, but he, God would protect them. The last one that I have on my note sheet, there's probably other examples, is that Jesus is praying right now for us. Did you know that? Romans 8.34 says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Lynn. That they would believe. Yeah, at the resurrection of Lazarus. He, he said, you know, this all happened and I'm praying so that these people would believe. Yeah, yeah. So the third question we're dealing with each week. Uh, and this week, again, we're dealing with it because Jesus uses um, this plural plurality here. How should these truths impact the way I pray and what I pray for? And I've got a list of things I came up with. But the fact that Jesus is focusing not just on when you go to God, it's you and God, but it's you as a part of a group. How should that affect the way we pray? Any thoughts? 
Okay, you know, that's, that's more of a pattern and a structure, but what the truths that were part of a group, the truths that were all together, how should that impact the way we pray? Joe? Okay. So praying for others, you mentioned specifically forgiveness, so praying for others. In other words, we don't just come to the Lord and pray for ourselves, and that's it. Me, what I need, what I want, but we pray for others. And you mentioned a specific example of forgiveness. Lynn, I wasn't ignoring you before, but you get lots of opportunities to give answers. Go ahead. Okay, as Jesus prayed in faith and had positive results, we can too. But again, what I'm focusing on here, the fact that we're all together, all together. Let me give you what I have here. Okay, I may not be communicating as well as I should what I'm looking for, what we're trying to get across here. But the fact that we are all in this together and it's important that we're in relationship. Letter A, we should pray for each other. And that's what Joe said. That was the first one there. Okay, we should pray for each other. Not just pray for ourselves. We see this in another example, not just Jesus, but when you look at Paul in all his letters, he says, I've been praying for you. And he lists all the things he's been praying for you. In fact, last week I said that not only is the Lord's Prayer a great example and pattern for prayer, Paul's prayers are great patterns for prayer. Okay? But Paul was always praying for other people. In fact, when you listen to him talking about you wanted to, Paul, did you ever pray for yourself? Because he's always talking about praying for other people. Okay? Um, James, the passage in James is a great one. James 5, 13 to 16. James says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. And it's implied there you're going to pray for yourself, and that's fine. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That's an official prayer of certain people for others. And it's talking about leadership in the church, the elders of the church. But it goes on to widen that, okay? Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. This is everybody, okay, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So a really good goal for us is we're talking about how this concept should affect our prayers is that we should make it a goal to pray more for others than we do for ourselves. Okay, and that is a good thing to look at your own prayer life. If you, if, if, you know, if, if you're willing to do that, how much of my prayers are totally focused on me and what I want and what I think I need, and how much do I pray for other people? Okay. The second one is this, and this is an application of more practical, personal, specific application. Letter B: As we pray for our needs, we should pray for others with similar needs. This is a great way to apply it. Whatever you're praying for yourself, pray for anybody and everybody else that you know that has the same need. If you have a financial need, pray about it. 
But then stop and say, well, Lord, who else do I know that has financial need? Everybody in our church, <laughs> no, whoever it might be, you know, you may know certain people and say, Lord, just like I'm praying, you might, you know, I'm praying for so and so because I know they're going through a tough time and they just lost their job and blah, 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 blah. And I'm praying for this person over there and what, and I'm praying you meet the needs of our church, you know, and so that way is a, that is a good way to train yourself to not only pray for yourself, but for other people. The passage I have down here, 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9, it says, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood all throughout the world. So whatever suffering you're enduring, brought on by the enemy, brought on by yourself, whatever it might be, there are other people that are suffering the same thing. So don't just pray for yourself. Pray for them. Okay? All right. C. And this is another direct application from that same scripture. We should pray for those who are being persecuted for their faith. You know, our faith doesn't cost us. I mean, it costs us um, something, but not near as much as it costs a lot of people. For other people, it means discrimination, suffering, harassment, imprisonment, torture, and sometimes death. It's a great habit to get in the you know, as we're thinking about praying for other people, to pray for people around the world. Um, there's an organization off the top of my head, I've just forgotten what it is, that puts out a list every year of the top 50 countries where Christians are most persecuted. And I've got a copy of it in my Bible study software. And every day, just like I pray for one missionary every day, I pray for one country every day where Christians are persecuted. And so that's a great habit to get into. Okay, If you're interested in that, uh, remind me later and I'll, I'll point you to where you can find that information. All right. Uh, letter D, another group of people we should pray for is pray for those in ministry. Which could include all of us, because all of us should have ministry. But pray for those as they're involved in ministry. There's seven different places where Paul asks for people to pray for him. But not for his specific needs, for him personally, but for his ministry. Okay, I've got these scriptures listed. We're not going to read them. But Romans 15, 30, 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 11, Colossians 4, 2 to 4, and Ephesians 6, 19 to 20. Paul talks about various times he was in need and people were praying for him, specific things he asked that they pray for him about. One of them was his pray that I'm effective. Pray that I think and speak clearly. That's the paraphrase. Pray that the, the word goes out and is accepted, you know. But pray for people in ministry. What are some of the things that we can pray for people that are involved in ministry, including ourselves? What are some specific things we can pray for people involved in ministry? For a fresh anointing. All right. Yes. For what? Courage? Yep. Purity. Yeah. Okay. Boldness. So many things that we can pray for. Yeah. And again, not just pastors and missionaries, but any place, anytime, anybody who's involved in any type of ministry. A letter E is one that we find in Scripture. Um, we should pray for our government leaders. That's another way of praying for other people. We won't read the Scripture. You're probably familiar with it, but if not, you can read it later. But First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Now, there are other things that we can find in Scripture about how the truths of we're all in this together, we're part of a, a community, a communion, um, we're supposed to be in a good relationship, how that should impact the way we pray. But the main thing is, is just that we don't just come to God and pray for ourselves. And again, I think that's one of the reasons Jesus put that in there. Our Father, you know, praying for our needs, praying for our um, need for forgiveness, you know, our protection. Help us, you know, when we're being tempted, all right? That we always have other people in mind. 
And so then we get to the fourth and last question. And this goes along the lines of why I named this Bible study series Living the Lord's Prayer. All the things we've talked about already tonight, okay? Um, how should that affect the way we live our Christian life? How should these truths impact the way I live as I seek to follow Jesus? The fact that uh, Jesus emphasized we're all in this together. How should that affect the way we live? How we should operate as a disciple of Jesus? Any thoughts? Okay, so we need to work together to accomplish his will and to see his kingdom established on the earth. Yeah. John? Okay. We need to walk in humility in our relationships with others. Okay. To reword what you said. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Okay. Well, let me give you the ones I came up with. Um, because they're the ones on your note sheet. And there's any number more, but these are the ones that came to my mind. Like I said, I had to cut a lot of stuff out because this just kind of blossomed in my mind. Number one, we should prioritize building strong, healthy relationships with others. Okay? That should be a priority. Again, we're not supposed to be Lone Ranger Christians. Kind of hide ourselves in a corner. Now, different people have different personalities. Some are outgoing, some are not so. Introverts and extroverts, that's fine. But introverts have close relationships too. They just manifest it in different ways. But we need each other. Okay? And God's purposes are fulfilled better when we're working together. And any time that there are unhealthy or weak relationships with others, it hinders what God wants to do in us and through us and through us as a church. So we need to prioritize building strong, healthy relationships with others. On your note sheet, I have this little sub uh, line here, live out the one another's of Scripture. What are the one another's? That's when Paul and other New Testament writers said, do this to or for or with one another. What are some of the one another's in Scripture? We are to encourage one another. What else? We are to love. That's the number one mentioned more than any of the other, and the others are actually a manifestation of it. We are to love one another. What else are we supposed to do to, for, with, or one another? We show compassion to one another. I'll just tell you, there's 25 different one another's or each other's in the New Testament. Pray for one another. We already read that in James 5, didn't we? What else? Be patient with one another. All right, well, we're not going to play the trivia game and try to name all 25 until we get them all. But that was what I was telling you that I, when I was going through this, I have a supplemental thing. I'll put that back here. Um, I developed this years and years and years ago. At the top it says, we are all members of one body. And it has a list, oh, it's 24. 24 different, some of them are similar, one another's. I think this is based on the NIV version because I developed it way back when I was teaching and preaching from that. Love one another, be at peace with one another, outdo one another in showing honor. I'm not going to read them all. Bear with one another, be kind to one another, forgive one another. And so I'll put that on the back table after Bible study too if you want to take a copy of that and you want to do a little bit more deep study on that. But that's how we can build strong, healthy relationships with others as we put into practice all these one another's. Okay? Letter B, work hard at healing broken relationships. This is not easy. When we have a broken relationship, we'd rather ignore and avoid the other person than try to get it worked out. It's not biblical. It's not what God wants of us. He wants us to work. Now, some scriptures are involved as far as is that our 
ability. You know, we can try hard and they just reject it and that's okay, I did my part. Okay? But we need to work hard at healing broken relationships. We need to forgive and ask forgiveness. And that's going to come up later in the prayer too, you know. Jesus said, pray, you know, forgive us as we forgive others. The implication, if we don't forgive others, we got some problems in our own life, okay? And we'll talk about exactly what that means when we get to it. But work hard. In fact, Jesus even said in Matthew 5, verses 23 to 24, if you're offering your gift at the altar, you're in an act of worship. That's what he's talking about. You and God, your act of worship. And there you remember that your brother's got something against you? Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. There's other places this is taught too. And sometimes people say, well, you know what? They're the ones that cause the problem, so it's up to them to come to me first. Well, when you look at the teaching on this, Jesus puts it both ways. If you're the one that caused the problem, go get it worked out. If they're the one that caused the problem, go try to get it worked out. It doesn't matter who's at fault. Chances are between two people, they both think the other person's at fault. Okay? It doesn't matter. Do what you can to heal that broken relationship. Uh, Letter C, this is a lot in Paul's teaching. Put others before yourself. Put others before yourself. Two Main passages, there's others. Romans 12, 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. One translation says, in honor, prefer one another. Think of the other person before yourself. Okay? Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of of others. Letter D. I'm moving along because we're getting close to the end and close to the end of our time. Actively support others. Now, I know this is a little bit of a repetition, you know, part of building healthy relationships, but what are some ways? I like that word support. What are some ways that we can support one another? Vita. Hmm? Okay, so supporting our leaders and leaders need to support those under their leadership. Okay, what are some other ways that we can support others? John. Yeah, meet needs that you're capable of and that you know about. Okay, meet needs. How else can we support others? The obvious one is pray for them. We've been talking about that the whole time. Pray for them. Yes, Michelle. Okay. Okay. Yeah, the world, the devil wants to tear people down. So getting together with them, studying the word of God together, loving on each other. Okay. Um, just being there sometimes. Just listening. Just listening. Sometimes somebody wants to talk. And I know this is a thing between, a lot of times between husbands and wives. You know, the wives want to talk and husbands want to fix it. And they're like, don't try to fix it. Just listen. That principle right there could save some of you guys if you put it into practice with your wife, okay? Sometimes they just want you to listen. Don't try to fix it, just listen. But that's true for all of us, isn't it? I mean, have you ever been just, I just want to express myself. And somebody tries to jump in and tell you what you should do. and this, You know, that's fine, that's good, but that's not what I want to hear right now. I just got to be able to express. I just got to, you know, get it out. So listen, help them, meet needs, all the one another's we talked about, okay? And this last one is really important because it's a lot easier for us to help somebody else than to receive help. So the last one is this letter E. Don't be afraid to get support from others. We hesitate to accept 
support or help or to come across like we're actually dependent on other people. And we, I can say why, but we're running out of time. Why is it? Because of pride? Because we want to be independent? You know? Um, we want to be self-sufficient? And as I said earlier, because maybe we've been hurt in the past? I'm not going to open up to somebody else. Try to get somebody else's to, to you know, to kind of point about because I've been hurt, you know? So as we wrap all this up, again, we're studying the Lord's Prayer, and tonight we were just focusing on that one word, our. And the others that come along with it, our, us, we. The idea being that we are all in this together. All right? We need each other, and we have a lot to offer others. So this affects the way we pray. We don't just pray for ourselves. We pray for each other. And it affects the way we live our lives because we don't live it just for ourselves. We live it for others. And we try to develop strong relationships where we can encourage one another and strengthen one another and be there for one another. Okay? So one of the ways that this might would look as you're praying the Lord's Prayer is you start to say, Our Father in Heaven. You just pause and say, Lord, I thank you that it's not just me. I'm part of a body. I thank you for my friendships. I thank you for my relationships. I thank you for my family. I thank you, you know, that I'm part of a body. And I pray that you'd help me to have better relationships. And Lord, I've got this one relationship, you know, you're both of our fathers, but we're kind of adding, we got to get this thing work. So you can see just meditating on that idea of our at the very beginning can expand the prayer for you as you're praying through the Lord's Prayer. All right. So next week, now, we're not going to do just one word every week, okay? Once we get past this first part, we're going to deal with phrases. But next week, we're going to focus on the fact that Jesus tells us to pray to God as our Father, all right? So I'll put those note sheets on the back as soon as we close in prayer. And so I encourage you all week long, if you're going to play along, if you're going to participate, then be meditating on this. The first question, what truths are found in this portion? What truth is found in the fact that Jesus said we can call God Father? Number two, how are these truths evidenced in Jesus' teaching and actions? How did Jesus evidence that God is Father? Number three, the application, how should the truth that we can call God Father impact the way we pray and what I pray for? And then the fourth and last one, how should the truth that we can call God Father impact the way I live as I seek to follow Jesus? So to wrap this all up, just to emphasize why am I talking about living the Lord's Prayer? What sense does it make to pray something that we're not willing to live out? What sense does it make to pray, God, your will be done, but I'm not going to do it. God, your kingdom come, but I'm not going to help it. You know, God, meet my needs, but I'm not going to do anything to help myself or others. So you see, the way we pray should impact the way we live. And that's what this whole series is about. So let's pray and then we'll go. Father, thank you for this time that we've looked at tonight, uh, that we've taken tonight to look at your instructions and praying in the Lord's Prayer, and just on the fact that our, um, us, we, that we're part of a body, Lord, and that that impacts, Lord God, um, how we pray and how we live. Father, I pray that you'd help us and show us how uh, we're supposed to, but help us to apply this to our lives, to the way we pray, to the way we live. Um, Help us to build strong, healthy relationships. Lord, help us with the relationships that are not so strong, that aren't so healthy. Help us with the relationships that are kind of broken. Show us what we can and should and uh, do to try to bring some mending there, Lord God. And Father, we thank you, Lord God, that we are part of a body, that we are there for each other. I pray, dear God, that you'd help us to love and support each other in every way we can. Father, we give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.
We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 